Hello and welcome to Sex, Psychics and Psychedelics, Discovering Inner Liberation. My name is Banana Jane Garnett. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, a lover of freedom and a relentless explorer of the mind. Please come join me on my journey in hot pursuit of inner illumination and liberation. For more about me, you can find me at The Banana Jane on Instagram. Now let's dive in. My next guest is my friend and mentor, Marie Lesnicki. Marie is an entrepreneur who has focused her work on human potential. She spent nearly a decade building a chain of schools across Africa and Asia, and most recently started Mindstead, a platform for bite-sized personal growth tools made by a host of different therapists and coaches. Marie's an all-round fan of exploration, healing, and self-love, believing that there's no one way up the mountain, which is one of the ways she and I became friends. I'm sorry to say I'm not interviewing Marie today. She is interviewing me. Uh, I hope one day I will have the pleasure of turning the tables, but um, bear with us. And here is Marie to introduce me. It is my pleasure to introduce Jane. Uh, Jane is a licensed psychotherapist with degrees from Oxford University and Pacifica Graduate Institute. Jane's love of the psyche eventually led her to the intersection of psychedelics and healing, but before that she researched the inner life from many angles. She trained in psychodynamic psychotherapy at the Maple Center in Beverly Hills, as well as the Independent Center. She's also trained at Parnell Institute for attachment-focused EMDR, and she's received mindfulness teacher training from Insight LA, as well as learning somatic experiencing, IFS, and EFT. If you haven't noticed, psychology is filled with acronyms, so I'm just gonna explain really quickly. EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It's a type of therapy that is great for trauma and healing emotions. IFS is internal family systems, which is a non-pathologizing therapy that helps people see themselves as made up of a set of parts. And EFT is emotions-focused therapy, which believes that emotions are a part, um, can be used as a guide for individual choice and decision-making. So without further ado, here is the chat where I interview Jane. So I've known you for a while. I know I know you now. Psychic queen, psychedelic queen, um, sex queen. Oh, and you. But I don't know the full story of how you, you got to today. So I was really mm -hmm. excited for this conversation um, ju just to know that part. And so I thought uh, maybe we could start with just um, what was your very first psychedelic experience and what led you to try it? Mm, um, good question. My first psychedelic experience um, was MDMA in Bali in my year off, which, you know, it's what in England you call the year between graduating school and starting college or university. So okay. I was traveling in Asia and um, I knew there was going to be this party in the paddy fields and it just felt like the time to to try this thing. I had no idea what it would be. And um, it was an incredible experience because um, I danced all night um, with people from all over the world and, um, you know, into the morning. And I felt like I was connecting with all of these different people. I particularly remember this feeling of sort of maintaining eye contact with strangers 
um, <laughs> with this incredible view and feeling just happy and elated and open. And it was a really wonderful experience. Funny, I I also really remember telling my mum all about it after that. And and I credit her reaction. I remember her saying, oh, darling, how wonderful. And then afterwards, but is it safe? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, I, I, I hope so, because uh, I want to do it again. So, um, yeah, that was the first. That's awesome. That's a beautiful story. I love the scene setting. And, and it's also fun since that started out from like a recreational, youthful journey and now we're a couple of years later. Oh, yeah. A little bit on. <laughs> and, yeah. and now the role of psychedelics has really expanded in your life beyond, um, you know, pleasure, which it still has a role for, but also just the healing journey. Um, I'm wondering what point did it switch where you consider that there was more to some of these medicines than having a good time in the jungle making eye contact, even though that I mean, that's its own yeah, healing moment as well. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I can see that now looking back that that was a healing moment. Of course, at the time it was, well, I don't know what yeah. it was. It was just a, an exciting moment, um, a wonderful moment. So um, yeah, it was actually after I had, my, my journey as a therapist, I've had a practice for 15 years now and I've been on a sort of, psychedelic journey or kind of more like focused psychedelic journey um, for 10 years. So I was a therapist for, for five years before I did ayahuasca for the first mm -hmm. time. And, and was that your first uh, medicine experience after the MDMA? Um, it was, I'd taken mushrooms, magic mm -hmm. mushrooms, sort of in a party context, but that was, um, yeah, I would say I'd had some sort of party experiences, but I'd had nothing in a kind of healing um, context, I guess. And I hadn't had, you know, any sort of heavy hitter plant medicine. I now know that, you know, mushrooms could be considered a heavy hitter plant medicine, but um, yeah, this was a sort of different league. Yeah. It was a, it was a, a big, a big step forwards and it was, it was a kind of really shocking and revelatory uh, experience. So can you um, set the scene? Like what made you decide to try that then? And why ayahuasca yeah. out of all of yeah. the very many plant medicines? Well, initially I wasn't doing it because I was interested as a therapist, although of course it's all related. Sure. Um, I actually went to do it because I was struggling in my marriage. I wasn't sure if it was the end of the marriage. I actually dragged along my now ex-husband with me. And, um, I'd been, I'd been to see a friend in Brazil and I'd been staying with her and I never took it while I was in Brazil, but I started meeting these shamans and people who were talking about, um, manifesting. And this was all sort of during this time where I was questioning my marriage, I was questioning everything really. I, I didn't know what was going on. I was kind of lost. And I was there in the jungle with two little young girls, uh, visiting a friend Back, back to the jungle. And, um, and yeah, I was meeting these shamans and people working with ayahuasca and they were on such a different vibration. And I was quite threatened by it actually, because, I mean, they certainly were sort of, I felt like they were kind of parading the truth and the answers and this very kind of heart-based way of living, um, which yeah, it was threatening because I was feeling like my own heart was kind of, uh, 
under attack. And I guess it was breaking because really it was the end of the marriage. And I was just, you know, in, in that kind of level of pain, you know, you just don't really want to fully look at it. Um, but I guess I was sort of starting to look at it because it was confronting being around these people. And, um, in particular, I started talking to this medicine man, his name was Nando and he started feeding me medicine thoughts. I was asking him about ayahuasca and he was saying, you know, ayahuasca is about getting back to, um, a connection with nature and, um, a more sort of simple and healthy relationship between the masculine and the feminine. He was talking about all these sort of um, sort of very heartfelt ways to live. And I was really kind of, I don't know, it really kind of ignited a desire to, to kind of um, find ayahuasca. And I was also terrified. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, it didn't come to me in Brazil. I just got to sort of get a sense of the culture of it. And then when I got back to LA after that trip, I started asking around and it, I didn't find it for a while because it wasn't everywhere like it is now. Um, and then I have a question. Um, um, yeah. So it's interesting because now I know you more now than some years ago, but I know you have a, like a tight academic background, a lot of evidence-based stuff. You were kind of a polished therapist. What made you interested as this in an approach to really open your heart as opposed to more therapy? Oh gosh. Or other approaches. <laughs> Yeah, I guess my therapy wasn't doing it for me in terms of the relational stuff I was going through. The therapist I ended up working with when I got to, so I was working in, in Hollywood. I was living in LA initially. And I, my first experience of, of therapy was through these kind of Hollywood, Hollywood shrinks. You know, they were very, these these smart guys who were working in a creative way with people in the film business. Mm -hmm. And I felt that what I was, and now I might put their work more in the context of sort of coaching in a way, because I think that they were sort of coaching me through Hollywood. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't hitting where I was really stuck, which is, you know, when you're in, uh, I don't know if you've had the, had the privilege to experience this, but when you're in relationship hell and your world is upside down, you know, you, you can get your ass kicked in such a major way. And why was therapy not working? Um, I think a couple of reasons. One is I think maybe I didn't have the right therapist for this. Um, I also wonder, you know, I don't know. Yeah. So let's say didn't have the right therapist, but then taking some more responsibility on uh, myself. I think my defenses were very, very strong. And I've always been quite good at um, protecting myself and being a bit of a chameleon. So, uh, I think if I look back at a lot of my therapy experiences, when it started to get uncomfortable, when the therapist would approach something that felt maybe too raw for me, I would wriggle and spin and duck and dive and wheel and deal. And I would find a way out of it. Yeah. I would outwit them. Yeah. Uh, which is an sort of embarrassing thing to admit but it's survival. It's just when you start feeling like, oh, you're coming into my space and I don't like yeah. it and I'm really vulnerable. 
you need a shitload of trust and a really brilliant therapist to get into those spots. And the thing about plant medicine is it doesn't really give a fuck. It doesn't really care. It just goes to where it wants to go. It's not two humans dealing with each other. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. I think that shows a lot of self-awareness and I'm sure what makes you a really good therapist is knowing all the tricks and things people do to avoid what they're really there to do. Um, it's also just really, uh, inspiring how you, how you were open to seek this out and try this because like right now it feels like everywhere you look, there is an article on plant medicines, but like this wasn't so big then, like you said, you couldn't even find this medicine really easily. So it's, it's like cool to see someone who is academic, who is kind of more heady being like, I need a shock to the system because it ain't working. So, so yeah. Okay. So, so you decide you want to have an ayahuasca journey in your back in LA. That's right. And what happens? Oh gosh. So it finds me and, you know, I don't think twice to, to really research it. I'm just like, there it is. Let's go. You know, I mean, in retrospect, I probably should have researched it. However, it was perfect. Uh, I go, I drive my ex-husband along um, it's a sort of random ceremony in Topanga, huge group of people, um, a Peruvian medicine man who has some instruments and some, I don't know, I, I, I want to say really strong ayahuasca, but I think it's kind of a moot point. I think ayahuasca just is really strong um, and uh, had a really extraordinary night. Um I'd been terrified that I was going to be terrified. I was, you know, there was like, I was scared of being scared and I sure was scared. Um, So, and I, you know, I saw my fear and, you know, all the things I I was like, I hope I don't see black snakes. And of course, the first thing I see is black snakes. (laughs) I'm like with a bunch of hipsters and they all turned into these like ancient ladies, you know, showing me the beauty of death and, you know, just went to these kind of like straight away went to these kind of dark places. And then I, I, I got to see these pictures of, rifts in my family system and my relationships that were so vivid. I mean, they were so, they were so felt that you couldn't deny them. I mean, one was, um, oh gosh, it was so moving. I got to re-experience the pure love that I felt for my father when I was very, very young. I, I didn't really, my parents were divorced and I didn't really sort of know my dad in a, in a traditional way, but I started seeing him at weekends when I was about two and my dad has an amazing sense of humor and, and is and a kind of like wicked imagination. And he got sort of right in there with the two-year-old me and made me laugh. And I'm like, Oh my God, this guy's my dad. And, and I, I, because of the shit that happened sort of down the line, downstream from that moment, I had sort of blocked that very pure love but on the ayahuasca they took me straight back into it and I was in my heart re-experiencing like this crazy radiant pure love falling in love you know and with your parent (laughs) and it was just undeniable I just couldn't like you know I was just like weeping and weeping I I couldn't argue myself out of it I just it was like there was an emotional truth it was like okay holy fuck that exists right yeah. So I, you know, that's an example of something that I saw. I connected with my gred- dead grandmother um, in a way that felt very real. Like I 
held her hand. She held my hand and I saw our hands together and I got to look into her eyes. And I mean, it's just so, so hard to fathom these experiences, but to me, that sort of started to go into just this, again, more of like experiential, like this is healing. This is like when your body is racked with sobs and you're connecting to something, someone in your family tree, dead or alive in that way that is so heartfelt. I don't know, like that is, it's just such a different experience than, you know, navigating all of the furniture of the mind and the way that we tend to do in, in talk therapy. So I was like, okay, wow, this is the heart, right? Uh, I think that was the sort of really heavy hitter thing I got. And then the other thing I got was just sort of dots connecting because of course I had done this work. It wasn't the two things weren't actually mutually exclusive. I'd actually done quite a lot of sort of almost like prep work, I would say, of trying to kind of understand myself and take responsibility and and look at my part in things. And I felt actually kind of validated when I did ayahuasca. I felt like a good student, which is really nice. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, oh, right. I was onto something. I just couldn't see it because I didn't have the right yeah. tools. And and it was interesting because it was so different for, for uh, my ex-husband. He came out and he was like, oh boy, don't ever make me do that shit again. That was a nightmare, you know? And and I was like, wow, it all makes sense. And, you know, so so we had very different reactions. And then, of course, that that actually that makes sense. Yeah. I think uh, like it's often said that to really have a really good um, psychedelic experience and a healing one, like you want to have done a little bit of at least a little bit of therapy and at least a little bit of meditation. So you're kind of prepared for what comes up and you're also able to sit with it and really let it show you what it wants to show you instead of running from it. A hundred percent. Actually, I just want to add something on that. I was lucky enough to find, I switched therapists that another story, but, um, a few months before the ayahuasca experience. And funnily enough, the therapist I'd been referred to had his own sort of side practice with ayahuasca. So we started, and it was very kind of taboo because I mean, it's still dicey waters now, but it was even dicier back then. And, and this was a very like unexpected guy. Like he looked as straight as straight as they come. Um, but he was, he was a big fan of ayahuasca. And so I worked with him on preparing specifically for the journey. And I remember we came up with this mantra, which is, I have my foundation, which was my way of remembering that I've done this work. I mean, I've done a bunch of preparatory work and I've survived this and I've survived that. And so we sort of resourced my life to remind me in that moment that I could kind of, that I could do it. And, and I think that that was very helpful. And that was before that journey or yeah. before a future journey? No, it was, it was before the first ayahuasca journey. That's awesome. And so it's, it sounds like there's a lot of takeaways, both for personal healing and because you're in the profession of healing, a lot of professional takeaways as well. So, so what came from that journey and what journeys yeah. did it lead to? <laughs> well, <laughs> I remember journey in multiple definitions. (laughs) Well, yeah, it it applies. So uh, one one unexpected part of an overall unexpected journey was going back into my practice, having done ayahuasca. And it was a crazy thing. It felt like, so with my first client after ayahuasca, I felt like there was a spatial shift in the room. I felt that the client and I had sort of, even though my chair and my sofa we're still in exactly the same spot in my therapy room, just clarifying this. No one had moved them. It felt like they'd been moved closer together. 
Yeah. And it was undeniable. And I had a sense of, now it's hard to say this without sounding ridiculous in a way, but like the other person's reality had expanded in such a way that I just felt, or mine had, it was like the whole thing was just so much more connected. I felt like, oh, this person is my brother. This person is my sister. This person is my mother. This is, I was in what I think shamans call kind of right relations, you know, which is a place that I would like to be in all the time. And of course the head takes over and the agenda takes over, um, or maybe not, of course, but it does with me. And I, you know, I'm rushing through life and, and forgetting sometimes to treat whoever it is in front of me with that kind of deep honoring and, and respect. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I shifted for a minute. I felt like I had gone from like a sort of sophisticated LA therapist to like the woman in the village who people come to talk to about that shit. You know, I just yeah. felt like the whole thing felt more local. Yeah. Was there any challenges of losing some of that LA therapist identity or was it actually nicer to be, you know, the medicine woman on this pouch that's getting closer though. It's not. Yeah. Or was I just tripping? Right. But no, <laughs> uh, yeah, both, you know, I think if I had a choice, I would be the village woman. Uh, it just feels more grounded and I think it's what we need. And yeah, it's also more vulnerable because that the, you know, the LA sophisticate has more, more armor. And if, if I'm just whoever in the village, I don't know that much more than you. I mean, I might be lucky enough to have, you know, got access to a bit of wisdom or some teaching somewhere that you didn't have access to, but essentially we're all the same. We're all in the dark together, you know? And, um, yeah, I think that's, you know, that's been the overall journey has been moving more and more into the kind of the question, being able to be in the question with whoever it is I'm, I'm sitting with. Did your clients notice a big change as well? Um, gosh, I mean, we'd have to interview my clients. Which... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I tried not to say like, do you notice anything different about me? You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, although I was tempted, like, I just want to be like couch closer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. like, you find me a little bit more real today. Um, what does integration mean with psychedelics? That phrase is used a lot, and I, I yeah. wonder. Yeah, um, <laughs> I got the image of you know when you're making a cake and you pour a liquid into something that's more solid, and then you just like keep folding it in. Um, yeah, I think psychedelics, you know, they they shake up uh, your reality. They give you some some sort of radical new images or experiences. And it's really fun and easy sometimes just to kind of run with those, you know, to go straight into whatever you, you get a glimpse of, uh, you know, yourself post-divorce or you get a glimpse of, you know, you get a glimpse of your new career or whatever it is. Um, and just, you just, you know, just want to just fly into it. 
Um, and really it's it's a little disrespectful to the whole reality that you've been living just to prioritize the psychedelic experience over the whole reality that you've been living. So ideally, and again, this is sort of a textbook ideally, but ideally after you have this sort of psychological kind of earthquake experience, if it is that, um, you wait a minute and you sit with the different realities that might feel quite disparate. That's unsettling, right? It's unsettling when you have two concurrent co-occurring realities. There was the one before, and then there's the one that you just experienced. And the one that you just experienced felt good because you were also feeling high at the time. And can we just go with that one instead? And you know, there was a reason you were doing all that stuff before. And and life does involve compromises and it does involve other people and it's not perfect. And and so integration is, yeah, it's sort of, it's letting the the two realities sort of, um, I suppose, harmonize and find a third point together. And that takes time and it takes feedback from other people because we're not in this alone. It is supposed to be a relational journey. It's a, it's a relational journey, like it or not. And um yeah, I think it's uh, it's wise to let whatever that sort of chemical afterglow is just die down a little bit um, and kind of sort through what of this information I just received or this experience I just received, do I want to uh, carry forward? Lovely. Um, so another question, we talked about ayahuasca and it had a lot of ancestral things come up, the beautiful yeah. moment with your dad, with your grandmother. Um, there are so many different types of plant medicines. Um, could you share, I guess, a little bit about which ones you think are good for which reasons or some of yeah, your experiences or to. what you, I guess we, we are not medically recommending anything here, but for people, <laughs> no, to we are not, no, time, no medical recommendations about something. We always want to remember results may vary, but um, yeah, ayahuasca, a wild ride. I think of it as a vine. It kind of just snakes and creeps and amazing sort of tall, far-reaching directions. Um, iboga is the um, plant medicine from the Gabon, from West Africa. It's a it's a shrub. It's a very, very strong um, psychedelic plant medicine. And um it's people, a lot of people know about it because it's, it's kind of a heavy hitter one in terms of breaking addiction. It's got, um, the ability to, to break strong addictions, um, on a, on a chemical level. Um, I'm very interested in it on a, the psychological level, because, um, to me, this is the most sort of directly psychological of them all, you know, if there was a if if there was a master therapist in the plant medicines, to me that would be iboga. Um, and I, it's you know, it's a, it's a very rough ride. And I heard about it when I was at a psychedelics conference in Oakland, and I was really interested in it straight away. And I asked the people who were presenting about it, you know whether this is something they would recommend I tried, and they were like, "Oh no, you know, it's just for hardcore addicts and." You know, and I was like, fuck you, I'm taking it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was um, that one I was pretty, pretty shocked by in, in many ways. But um, in terms of 
sort of psychological genius. This this felt to me like, yeah, um, a, a masterclass. It felt like being with the most sort of earthbound um, source of wisdom I could imagine. There was no getting away from whatever it was the plant wanted to show you. So it felt a bit like ayahuasca, but ayahuasca just, again, feels to me a bit more sort of wild and maybe sort of diva-ish in spirit. This medicine feels very like it, it goes through your memory files. It feels like a kind of like what, what you know, Freudian analysts would love to be. Right, they go through the memory files and just pick out the trauma, show it to you. It, it, for me, it worked like cinema. The traumas were shown as a little piece of cinema. And then they'd be like wrapped up in a joke that helps you see how the whole thing works. There's like a riddle. A yeah, exactly. A riddle wrapped up in an enigma, wrapped up in a, I don't know, fortune cookie. But yeah, so there's this sort of like, there's that sort of jokey system of the unconscious. Um, and you, yeah, you get to re-experience sort of cinematically and in your body what you experience, and then you get to see how it affected you and you get to, to track that. I feel like Iboga helped me in multiple ways. Firstly, it slowed me down so I could no longer engage with the sea of distractions I was used to engaging with. It also helped me shed my Xanax at night habit. I'd gotten into sort of a post-divorce piece of soothing, which was um, half a Xanax every night as a nice little off switch to help me sleep. And I no longer wanted to take it after Iboga. It brought back online old dreams I had tried to bury and hide from myself because they were inconvenient. Got to see how how dreams never really die and there's something very precious. And it's just that we hide them from ourselves because we get hurt or we don't know how to actually um, weave them into our adult lives. And the other piece which was interesting was I felt like I was recalibrated sexually, meaning during the aboga journey, I got to see where I'd been unconscious in my sexuality, that I'd sort of slid into unconsciousness around sex and seduction. Um, I'm still seductive, but it's conscious now. And I remember when I first recognized this had happened post aboga is I was hanging out with yet another unavailable male, one I had been very attracted to for a long time and had been in this kind of tortuous tease kind of situation with, always on the brink of something happening. It never really was going to happen. This was endlessly exciting to this kind of wounded OCD part of me. And I remember hanging out with him at the beach shortly after the aboga and kind of waiting for my body to start tweaking and it didn't happen. And I just, it had gone, you know, that sort of the chemistry had been cut. It was gone. And honestly, it just felt great. I felt like I'd been liberated from something, liberated from an old pattern. And um, it's really been like that since. 
overall with a boga, the gains tend to slide a bit if you don't do maintenance. You know, you can make really good changes for a couple of years and then, you know, you you either need to do it again or, or reboot in, in other ways. Um, so I, I don't think that you can expect these changes to be be lasting, but it's pretty profound that you get the opportunity to shift some deeply ingrained patterns. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, what about the other plant medicines? What 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 roles do they have for healing? What roles have they had for your life, personally and professionally? Well, funnily enough, I actually learned this from the uh, the mystic who took me on the iboga journey. Um, he said something about, you know, mushrooms being good. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. Because to me, they were still, at that point, they were still in a like party context. I thought you mushrooms are things that you take to just laugh and be silly and um, nothing wrong with that. But but yeah, I hadn't kind of seen them as a, as a journeying tool. And uh, I worked with these mystics for a while and it was super fun. And they would give me these like quests, you know, that'd be like, go and take mushrooms on your own and like rebirth yourself with a group of trees. And I just like go and do these crazy things. And um, sounds lovely to be rebirthed with a bunch of trees. You know what? How that, was that? that was, what oh, kind of a tree did you It become? was amazing. I actually found this like little cluster of silver birches and like lay on the ground and looked up at them and sort of became part of their family. Um, and I go back and see the trees actually they're in, in Will Rogers where I walk as much as I can. (laughs) So yeah, I was, I was very grateful for these, you know, these wonderful pieces of homework I had. I had a ball working with these, these mystics and I think about their teachings a lot because they were very impressive and, um, these are people really just flying on intuition, you know, completely off the grid, just completely off the grid. So interesting. Um, so, you know, living life on this very sort of just poetic level. Um, so yeah, they they introduced mushrooms to me as a um as a journey and guide, meaning um as tools for deeper meditation. So as fun as the tree thing was, you know, I learned that it doesn't have to be something like that. It could be, um, it could be I'm struggling as a mother right now to really see what it is that my kids need. I know my own stuff is getting in the way. You know, I mean, that that's a parenting is a great example of, you know, it's so easy and you can't see the wood for the trees, right? You start worrying and, you know, how did my mom do it and how should you do it? And how does my neighbor do it? And, and what does the child need and what does everyone need? And, uh, um, easy to, to really, uh, not, not have very much perspective. And you you could take that, for example, and go into a mushroom journey. I mean, this is the kind of thing I, I will do now, not super often, but when I have a kind of a question I need, I feel like I want to go deeper on, um, I feel like this is sort of, I guess I use it as a kind of maybe a shortcut to go deeper um, and to kind of surrender to being shown new aspects of truth. You know, it's for me, it's it's usually that it's like some kind of prayer, of like show me my blind spot. What am I not seeing here? You know, and sometimes I'll get a message just, just like, you're fine. Just relax. It's OK. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Go visit like, your tree family. Yeah, it's all right. Go visit your human family. Yeah, you're just, good. You're good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I learned about 
mushrooms really from uh, from iboga. And they're I think they're a wonderfully versatile tool because they work very, very well with intention. They work very well with your mind. So I never now would want to take mushrooms at a party because they'll just gravitate and amplify any kind of crazy shit that's going on, which is fun if you're very young, but you know, it's, I'm more interested in actually, you know, the sort of certain setting thing is, would you set up a, a safe and comfortable container for yourself and use it as a meditation? Yeah. Can you walk us through how that works? Hypothetically. Yeah. Um, about this, the, the certain setting thing and using it. Yeah. Yeah. If, some, yeah, if someone yeah, was to yeah. imagine doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Um, well, you know, I just, there are people out there more qualified than me to talk about this. Um, and also there are differing opinions on, on quantities. You know, I tend to prefer light doses. I'm sensitive to medicine. I'm a cautious person. I, you know, I, that's just my recommendation is always go light. Other people would say, just fucking go for it. So, you know, that's, <laughs> I, can't, I can't really speak to that, but for, for me, the, the recommendation probably would be light. Um, start light, get to know it, get to know the plant, get to know your own thresholds. So um, yeah, I think, you know, um, the safety of the setting, you know, um, is it a safe place? Are you going to be interrupted? Um, do you have time? I mean, you really want to set aside time. Even if your journey is only really strong for four hours, you would want to set aside six hours of uninterrupted time. And you'd want to set aside time before that so that you're not feeling rushed and time after that. And you'd want to, you know, you'd really want to take a, take a day and, you know, maybe before your journey, you go on a walk and you visit a lovely place, or maybe you go and do it somewhere in nature. If you can feel like you're in a sort of cozy spot in nature and you're not going to be, you know, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it in the middle of a busy park or something like that. Basically you want, you know, the least distractions possible. And then what can be really wonderful to enhance the experience of going inside is, well, playlists worth, is worth mentioning. Music is really wonderful for for, for journeying. And in general, I would recommend, um, music without too many words. Classical music is lovely. I like, I like piano and then, you know, any kind of like meditation type music that you like. Um, or if you want to connect with a different part of yourself, you can also put together songs that, you know, appeal to you at different stages in your life. Um, there's that too. So I think there's, you know, you want to consider the music, um, having an eye shades is good as well. And then you can really kind of enhance that experience of, of going inside. So yeah, so bef time before and then time after as well. You don't want to be like, you know, your buzzer goes at 11 and then you've got a, you know, a meeting, a pitch meeting or something. Um, you then want to, yeah, you want to have some some padding on the other side of it because that's that's part of integration. And yeah, I mean, I think at the very least, if you if you don't have a, healer or a therapist having a buddy you know who is that person in your life who you feel is solid who's that person you go to for you know good good solid advice who listens to you in a non-judgmental way you know you don't want that friend who's going to give you a bunch of advice as soon as you tell them what their journey is your journey was you you want someone who's a good listener so so I would you know also set that up tell your friend I'm going to go on this journey and, and articulate what your intentions are, you know? So I think also journal about it, but, but, you know, tell a trusted person, this is what I'm about to go through. And then you can, you know, on the other side, 
come back and say, this is what I went through. And then they may or may not help you, you know, connect some dots, but at least they'll, they'll be there and there'll be that nice sense of continuity. Cause it can be, you know, it's, you're, you're going on, we're back to journey. You're going on a journey. You're going to, a, a, you know, a foreign land. If you haven't been there before, it's, there's a lot to digest. Lovely. Um, how do you see like your, your whole podcast is on sex, psychic, psychedelics, you are a therapist. How do you see all of these different healing arts weaving together? Sex, psychics and psychedelics, you know, they all feel to me like, and therapy. therapy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess therapy is sort of, you know, that's my, my baseline because I've been a therapist and then these are the, these are the kind of growing edges these are these are the places where my imagination has have been kind of pushed or in, enhanced or delighted. Um, so they feel like these kind of areas of expression in a way in my own life. And I feel like they they all contain powerful potentials for um for for new growth, right? For for reimagining. So they're all kind of like threshold things. I mean, sex takes you to the brink of yourself. It, you know, it takes you into that sort of blurry space between being an individual and being, you know, more physically and spiritually open to what do we call it? Source, the collective. Um, and in the space of sexual healing, you can you can kind of rediscover yourself. There's, you know, I don't know about this scientifically, but I'm very interested, you know, neuroplasticity. This is a state that we can kind of um, reimagine in. I think that, the, you know, this sort of um, the orgasmic state has so much energetic potential. So I feel like, okay, sex is a, is a, is a portal um, to self-discovery and uh, I wish there was a new word for manifestation. I'm tired of that word, but maybe we could say you know, reinvention or reimagining, um, or fueling yourself and, um, and psychedelics. I feel the same, same way. It takes you to the brink of yourself and beyond, you know, it stretches your sense of identity. It helps you question all the things that you thought that you knew were true and you had to live by. And so it stretches a sense of self, expands a sense of self. It increases connectivity within your own mind and potentially with others. And, um, and psychics, it's really about, I think it's about, we've spoken about this, but it's about the combination of the imagination, again, new worlds, <laughs> taking voyages into new worlds of potential, but also doing that, um, with a loving and kind healer. So to me, yeah, the, the, I mean, I think that, 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 actually links across these three as well for, for any of these modalities to be healing we want to be able to work with someone else that we really um trust or or work on trusting ourselves but i think that that's that's a very important part of it what do you say to people who um don't believe in psychics or say drugs are just drugs it's fine i mean i i just think i think drugs are not for everyone i think psychics are not for everyone um I can't say sex isn't for everyone. I think it kind of is, but <laughs> you know, I, I just, no, I, I really, you know, I like the idea of these topics, just breathing and being food for, for exploration. And I think if, if someone, 
judges me or judges these topics, I think that's interesting and something for me to look at. Like, if that bothers me, why does it bother me? Um, I mean, why do we all have to get on the same page about everything? Yeah. What what I like about what you share today and your other podcasts and, and just in our lives is um, like using a lot of these things just to raise questions and not taking everything so literally. I mean, you, you've shared that about your psychic experiences, your psychedelic experiences, you know, at a certain point there, there are just things for us to respond to kind of just like anything else in life and, and see different sides of ourselves, which I, which I think is really fun. So it's like, I think sometimes when you talk to people, they take them so literally and like, well, the psychic said this would happen and it didn't. So, so it's totally wrong instead of thinking about it as, um, you know, a source of reflection. Well, how would you feel if that happened or didn't happen? And yeah. A hundred percent. And I feel like the more and more, certainly I open these, these boxes of uh, consciousness and exploration, the more kind of malleability and plasticity and multiplicity and, you know, that I see, and it can be overwhelming, but yeah, I think between the time you have a conversation with a psychic and the time you tell your best friend about it, <laughs> there have been a million different opportunities to change your reality. Yeah. It's just to really stay on board that involves a colossal amount of responsibility. Yeah. Um, I got us a little off topic of our psychedelic focus of today. Yeah. Yeah. The psychics really gobble up attention, don't they? <laughs> Always. Always. <laughs> But I feel like some of the same messages would hold true for psychedelics. It's it's all about, um, yeah, what what you're choosing to take away and think about. Is there any other plant medicines you'd like to share about and what you learned and what they they might be good for? Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, the the one I feel most currently kind of inspired by and and confronted by um, was the one that I that I've done most recently and it was the most intense journey I've taken, although also the quickest was with 5-MeO-DMT, which is um, a very strong short-term psychedelic experience that's kind of a, gosh, kind of a, a death plus expansion experience. It feels like, um, I mean, I haven't had a near-death experience, but I've always been interested in them and and listened to them. And, you know, there was that show on Netflix recently. And yeah, the uh, on 5-MAO-DMT, you have an experience of leaving your body. And I had an experience of that, of it felt like my body went into a death state and then my spirit completely expanded. And um, it was utterly terrifying and completely liberating at the same time. Um, again, you, you can't really imagine things until you experience them. You can, I couldn't imagine scale like that. You know, I had an experience of vastness um, that was out of body and what an amazing thing. I mean, I just feel like, will I ever be done processing that experience? I don't know. I really don't know. And so, yeah, I think that one's really, really got me in the I don't know position. <laughs> Just really holding me there. Um, 
And, you know, they say that that is the medicine of surrender. In fact, I, yeah, I did a I did a podcast with a woman who works with it, preparing people for death. Um, she's a death doula and she uses this medicine. Um, and I certainly saw that. I mean, talk about confronting. Uh, it wasn't just confronting, like, you know, showing you some relationship that you've been, you know, uh, gosh, I don't know, suboptimal in. It was like every single part of you that clings to life, you know, you get to get to see. And it's a very fundamental thing. You know, we, in general, that's how we're wired, right? We want to stay alive. We want to stay in the game. And, um, and then you have this experience of getting kind of, it's like, you know, you press pause on the whole normal experience and then just blast out of your body and experience kind of something that is total, and multidimensional, um, and indescribable and, um, and then, okay. And then back into your body. (laughs) Now what? Um, yeah. So now what? So now what? Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, I just feel my imagination has been stretched in a way that I can't, you know, I, I don't know if I can do anything very quote unquote useful with it, but, um, I've seen a place on the map, you know, it's like the map just got way bigger. So I was looking at, you know, one of the United States and now there's all of the United States or, you know, <laughs> it's like, it, it just, the whole map of, of consciousness just expanded in a, in a, a felt experience. Um, so what does that mean? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think I, you know, I suppose it, it makes me want to um, surrender more and live bigger um, and be more present and, um, yeah, live from the heart and and go for it. And I think that thing of, you know, surrender is just such a sort of, it's a core, it's a core thing. Um how do we learn to relax and not cling to the known? You know, I mean, this is certainly a way forwards, not for the faint of heart. It's a serious, serious medicine. So talking about integration, like those are such huge messages, surrender more, live bigger, be present, how to relax and not cling to the, to the known. I mean, I think these are all things, uh, you know, many, many of us are striving for, I how mean, do you, how do you integrate that? I just want to how say, help, integrate help, the big help, <laughs> I don't know, like somebody else. Gosh, you know, I think I've always been aware that there's a sort of falsehood that we are living in, in a way, because we give each other, you know, this sort of the men in the white coats concept, like that anyone really knows how to do this thing called life is it's got to be a bit of a fallacy because we're all in this for the first time. We were all in this body for the first time, whether or not you believe that there was a before or an after or there will be an after. So I've always had that awareness, but it kind of keeps keeps on keeping on. And uh, what that brings up in me on a better day is compassion um, for the human predicament that we are all in this, we're all, I believe sort of quaking in our boots essentially before this vast unknown. If you really start taking on these questions, it's just mind boggling. 
you know, why we're here and what we're doing and what we've done and what we should do. I mean, these are really big questions. And um, I feel like it's natural to be scared and I feel like it's natural to be confused. Um, And at the same time, we can be scared and confused and have fun and connect with each other and support each other. And I feel like that's what, you know, my relationship with you is about and you've really helped me with is to, you know, you've been a, a sister in the questions that we've we've gotten to be in the questions together um, without a feeling of somebody's got to wrap up this call with a solution. You know, we'll wrap up the call with a joke. Uh, we're not gonna, you know, maybe you'll give me a good analogy about some like a toy and how life works that way or something, you know, something inspiring, but, but we're not, you know, we understand that it's bigger than us. You know, it's like someone else said to me the other day, you know, living life on life's terms, when you really start to connect with the unknown and the way that it barrels through us, it's kind of a cosmic joke. I mean, it's pretty nuts. So, so what can we do about that? I feel like we hold hands and we admit it, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what I got on that one. I mean, it's not really anything too superior. No, I think that's beautiful. Hold hands and admit it is... (laughs) That could be on mugs instead of the, what's the British carry on message? Keep calm and keep calm. And calm. Oh my God, you've just given me a merch idea. I was just thinking today. Oh, yes, definitely, definite merch. Okay. Um, yeah, no, that's beautiful. I think I think one of the the biggest powers of psychedelics, and I think why it is so powerful for like end of life and um, like chronic disease and everything, is just the opening up to the expansiveness of of how much there is that we don't know in a way that isn't necessarily scary, um, but it's more full of wonder. Yeah. Um, it's a great word. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize just how many types of plant medicines there are in psychedelics and kind of like the different, there are differences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I want to go, it's not a plant, but I want to come back to MDMA actually, um, which I, I don't have much experience with on a therapeutic level, although I've gotten to sit in on some um, psychedelic assisted sessions with MDMA. And I was, I was a bit of a, um, I was a bit prejudiced in, in favor of the plants. I was like, Oh, it's nature. MDMA is made in a lab, but I'm kind of getting over that because I'm seeing it actually can be an incredibly helpful tool, um, both for the couples um, who uh, need help reconnecting or or growing their relationship um and also for for just um for trauma really it'll give you that felt sense of safety kind of of being held of your nervous system relaxing enough that you can actually sort of go back into what happened and talk through it. And this is, I think, very important to do with a therapist or an experienced practitioner. I don't think it has to be a therapist, but somebody that you've really checked out, you know, you trust and um, has, has good reviews from people that you know. So if you have found someone like that, um, that person then can help you be sort of, it's sort of like a babysitter, but also walking through whatever it is that that happened and bringing down that charge around it, right? That, that, um, adrenalized 
charge. Um, so when you think of what happened, it's not like you're running into barbed wire. Your whole system is kind of feeling feeling electrified. You can actually go there and come back and feel a sense of safety. And as you have that experience, that starts to change the way that you look at everything because you don't have these sort of sealed off rooms inside your system. You start to feel more whole and energy that's been tied up in your system you know, guarding this trauma, holding onto this trauma, trying to protect you. We're always just trying to protect ourselves, trying to protect you. Those protective parts can relax. We can connect on a physical, on a physical level with the idea, this is over. It's done. It's in the past because the brain doesn't really know the difference. The traumatized brain thinks it's happening all the time. That's PTSD. It's like, it's, it's sitting, the past is sitting on top of the present. So this is a way to put the past in its right place and catch up with yourself and restore those energies that were locked up in your system so that you can re-enter life fully. And that can be just a wonderful process. Um, you know, it's like getting a whole new lease on life. Um, so I, I really respect MDMA now as a, as a medicine. Um, and I would say, yes, for, for trauma, I would recommend um, MDMA. It's quite a good sort of place to start out. You want to always be careful around antidepressants um, and MDMA. Um, and so, yeah, you always want to look into those kind of chemical combinations. You don't want to just like charge into any of these things. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, for, for very strong addictions, I would say iboga, exploration, general exploration, ayahuasca, if you're willing to throw up in a bucket all night. Um, psilocybin, I would say is the, um, it's the most versatile and safe way in of all of them. I think that's, that would be the, the starter psychedelic, but it could also be the heavy hitter and that's where dosage comes in. Um, and five MAO. Yeah. Spiritual, spiritual surrender. Wow. So, um, like two different places I'm thinking one of them is since we started out the day or the call talking about MDMA when you're, you know, young Jane at a party in Bali. And now we're just talking about grown up Jane talking about MDMA for healing. What do you see as, you know, this interesting thing of, of these medicines and a lot of them, have been big in the party circuit and they're also big on the healing circuit. And I think that is what's really hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around. Like, how do you see them coexisting? Yeah, it's a great question. I, first of all, should we put parties and healing in different categories? Uh, parties can be healing. Getting together with a group of people and having fun is one of the more healing experiences available to us on this planet. So that's just just an aside. Um, but but I also get concerned about this sort of the murky areas between healing and partying. I um, have had experiences in sort of journey groups. They they actually exist now all over the world, but where people get together and you know take some medicines and there's a kind of a vague intention, but it's kind of a hang and, you know, you're not supposed to make out, but maybe people do. And you know what I mean? It gets a little bit like what's really happening here. It's not quite a party. And could we really say it's healing? It might be, but it could be kind of weird too. So 
Yeah. Uh, so, gosh, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, I think this is this really goes to who you are and what you're what you're looking for. Um, I don't want to make any rules about it, but I personally would rather know what's what. I'd rather know when I'm going to a party and when I'm going to a, a ceremony. Um, but I hope I would do both with an open mind. And, you know, not, not judge, uh, who's taking what or who isn't. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it gets, it gets problematic around, we didn't really talk about ketamine and I'm no expert on it. Um, I do have, have one of my, my pods on, um, ketamine with a, with an expert, but, um, yeah, that's, that's a tricky one, I think in terms of, um, the healing party crossover. There's not much danger of it with ayahuasca or boga because they're so unpleasant. You're not going to be taking them at a party. (laughs) (laughs) Psilocybin, we kind of covered that. I think that's very environmentally affected. Um, MDMA, I think is an interesting one. I've definitely met people who are, I feel this goes with sort of tech and Silicon Valley with this sort of like some very like high-minded people. Um, who might be, you know, brilliant in one way, but kind of a little disconnected in another way. And then they rely on MDMA to connect. But is it better that they do that and connect or that they don't do it at all? Do you know what I mean? I mean, if there isn't an option for you to go to a party and really connect with people because your wiring doesn't allow you to do that, should you just stay at home? Or should you go to the party and take the MDMA? I don't know. I mean, I don't have an answer to that, but I think I've noticed that. I've noticed people relying on it to connect. Um, but I guess, yeah, I'm like, I don't want to, even though I don't always enjoy it, I don't necessarily enjoy talking to a party where you feel like their connection with you is chemically based. I also, again, like around that, I try and go into compassion because for me, that's not difficult to connect with a stranger, but for some people that is really horribly difficult. So I think wherever it is, you're using it party or healing. It's where you have desire. You reach for something because you have desire. You have a, or you have, you have a need. There's, There's a remaining need. So I think that probably the most important thing is having awareness. I'm reaching for something. I'm reaching for a pill. I'm reaching for a, um, a new experience of myself. I'm reaching for connection. I'm using a drug to get that connection. If we could take the judgment out of it, then we'd just start seeing a bit more what it is that we are looking to genuinely looking to grow and heal in ourselves. So, um, another question kind of overall, um, psychedelics are, as, as we said, more and more mainstream, I think in California, I think you might have been passing a legalization. I know in Portland, Oregon, and Washington, D.C., and Col- I think Colorado. Yeah. I'm mis- missing up a bunch of states here. Um, how, how do you feel about that? Are you excited? Are you nervous? Are you, are <laughs> yeah. you curious? Are you, are you um, I don't know, any, any yeah. adjective? Yeah, I am, I am excited and I am nervous. Um, I think we, we have a mental health crisis. That's a fucking mess. You want to talk about messes, right? We've got a really massive mental health crisis on our hands. And how are we going to heal that? It's going to have to take more than talk therapy. I don't think it's fair for the talk therapist to take on that burden. 
I don't, I think everyone needs help and um, we're going to have to find some powerful tools. I do think EMDR is a powerful tool. I don't think everyone's going to respond to it. I do think psychedelics are powerful tools and we've got to find the right places for them and the right ways to administer them. And and still results may vary. I mean, if you just look at weed, I mean, it's a insane situation. I was just talking to someone about this, that, you know, there's, there's legalization and you can go to the store and there are all of these brands with all of the labels about all of the quantities. And I think it's not very accurate still. I think it's not very known. I don't think, I think it's still wild west. So you've got that in, you've got that in cannabis and then you've kind of Uber got that in these, these, with these other medicines. Um, so I think it's going to be a long road and maybe we'll have a version now of what we had in the sixties, you know, maybe we'll, maybe there'll be this Renaissance and then something will shut it down again. And then there'll be another one, you know, down the line or, unfolding and unfolding yeah, and unfolding. Exactly. Exactly. So my feeling is, gosh, I mean, does it even matter what I'm feeling about it? The cat's out of the bag. <laughs> <laughs> the train has left the station and it's happening. But yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of fun for me, but in a way, not as fun as it was when I felt like I was a pioneer in it. Um, you know, I used to be the one like banging onto people about it. And now people are sending me articles about stuff that I like already kind of know. Um, they're all saying a version of the same thing, which is these medicines might have potential. I'm like, yeah, they definitely have potential. Do we know how to? sort of properly respectfully harness that potential yeah i don't know i think there are lots of wonderful people out there doing wonderful work and i mean that's that's what this podcast is about really is sort of is celebrating all these people who are kind of committing to uh helping and and making change and opening their minds and their hearts to it yeah Along those kind of like global views, you know, a lot of these medicines are really indigenous to specific parts of the world environmentally and, and people wise. And how, how do you think is the best way for people to also use them and really respect the history and the, the cultures involved? And or is it is that, you know, times are changing and there's there's different ways to to look at it? I think I think it's a yes. And I think there are, there are traditions that are very important to the um you know these are these are wisdom traditions i mean that that is sacred that's amazing we're talking about so many years and um so much so much thought and so much care and and so many people putting their hearts and their lives into preservation of traditions and wisdom being passed down the line i would say you know with ayahuasca and with with a boga that is very much the case and um yeah and i think that that the what the wisdoms and the traditions and the land holds is this sort of the sacred part of this which is so fundamental and yes i think you know the more we can learn about that and respect that and research that the better and it's funny, we didn't talk about LSD. It suddenly popped into my mind, but but you know, there's that other side of this sort of more like like ripping open the box of you know consciousness as you know it. And I think there are, you know, different roads lead to different places, obviously. So you also might have a, an experience that is ostensibly kind of disconnected and anarchic. 
but it might lead you back into connection. You might go to Burning Man and take acid and realize, you know, oh my God, you know, I always wanted to be an astronaut. And then you start your journey as an astronaut and your astronaut then starts connecting you to people. And then you're like, because you're in your bliss, you're starting to connect to other people. And you're like, wow, people are really cool. And then, you know, and then you start connecting back into humanity that way. So I I guess to me, like, you can get into greater connection with humanity and with the earth different ways. So yes, of course, it's preferable to, to honor where something comes from and learn about it and be respectful and not just pillage. But I also think it's time to, um, to rethink everything. Are there any other journeys that were really impactful for you that you haven't shared yet that would be worth sharing with? Well, (laughs) the thing that, that just popped up actually was, was acid, um, in my mind because I was always terrified of it. I remember on that same trip when I went to Bali, running into a lot of travelers who were taking LSD and they just, I was freaked out because I i think I knew I could easily become that. Like there were people sitting on beaches talking about, you know, we found the key and I'm like, oh my God, you're just going to be sitting on a beach for the rest of your life talking about the key and no one's going to understand you and it's going to be really sad. And so <laughs> I... <laughs> I avoided it for a long time. And um, although I, my, my spidey sense said to me, one day, maybe in somewhere cool like California, you're going to meet some groovy people and they're going to be people you know have access to reliable LSD and you'll take some and it will be incredible. And, you know, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Didn't happen. And then I'm at, at Burning Man in my 40s and suddenly it happens. And with that group of people, I know I can trust it. Um, I'm still terrified because I have a sense of what it's going to do, which it did. Um, And I took it and it ripped the lid off my mind and all of the ways that I held the world together in my thinking were sort of um, just, they, they just, got destroyed like if you imagine sort of uh i think of like you know a uh, tidal wave running through white picket fences you know just be like just everything just got totally taken out so my mind or whatever it was consciousness became a vast playing field and and i started to you know, breathe through it <laughs> just about mm-hmm. and, um, and have fun with it. And it was kind of like, um, getting to paint in the stars and, you know, it was really, it was terrifying for me because I got to see the part of me that is, is limitless. And, um, and I don't, you know, someone listening might say, why is that scary? That's just cool. Um, and I guess that's just a very personal thing, but, you know, I think I've be, always been scared to be really out there. Um, and actually I am really out there. And so that was confronting, um, because it was kind of confirmation. It was like, yeah, you're really out there. And, um, and it was, yeah, it was really, really amazing experience to have had. I I won't be doing that often. I can tell you that. Um, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, um, to do that as an adult and again, it kind of goes back to the, the clinging and the surrender sort of motif, which is like, what would it be like if there wasn't a there there? 
horrible, horrible, horrible. And then you get through that horrible, horrible, horrible bit. And then you're like, ooh, spacious, spacious, spacious. Cool. What would I do? If none of it meant anything, what would I do? What if I got just to play? What if it was just color? What if it was just painting? <laughs> you know, it's like I going to that sort of um yeah, into play and into expression. And I mean that really that really ignites me. I really like that a lot. And um, I think play is a really, I think psychedelics have helped me remember play at, at a time where life has been threatening to get serious and, and continues to threaten me with its seriousness. Um, any way I can lighten up. And I discovered I'm just not a naturally super light person. I developed a lightness too, because I need it. Um, and it's, I think it's important, but yeah, I think this is, this is an interesting thing to look at in itself is just lightening up and being more playful. Yeah. I mean, what's more healing than that? Right. Exactly. Exactly.